0: So this morning, the verses we're going to look at are ones with which you're probably familiar, and they are indeed heavy verses. And certainly, our passage this morning as we focus on the death of Jesus, the death of the suffering servant. These are going to be quite juxtaposed to the Christmas decorations that we have up on the stage, but... I want to invite you as we go through these verses highlighting the death of Jesus, I I want to caution you from just passing over these verses too quickly and immediately jumping to the empty tomb. But as we go through our verses this morning, I actually want to invite you to do something a bit different. We're going to do something a bit different today. That is, as we go through our passage this morning, Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 39, as we go through each of the uh, items there on your outline, I'm actually going to pause at the end of each one and invite you to ponder the death of the suffering servant, which is our title for today's message. In other words, along the way, I'm going to explain things as I normally do, but we're actually going to take a moment, just half a minute or so, at each point in your bulletin, And just have some stillness and quiet settle in this room. Again, a way to encourage you to to ponder the death of Jesus. And I want to invite you to feel it, if you will. To imagine as though you were there, that the most precious person in the world died on the cross for you, because he did. Again, open your Bible to Mark chapter 15 as we take a look together at verses 1 through 39 and there in your bulletin you should have received an outline. You can see four things we're going to look at in our verses this morning. First, we're going to look at the condemnation that Jesus endured. Then we'll take a look at the cruelty, the physical cruelty and the shame that he endured. Then number three, we'll take a look at the crucifixion itself and the horrendous suffering that Jesus went through and suffered for you and for me. And then finally, we'll take a look at this remarkable confession that takes place as a result of it all. So again, grab your Bible, open up to Mark 15. Let's look first at number one on your outline. Let me read for you to begin Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. Early in the morning, the chief priests... With the elders and scribes and the whole council, immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Let's pause right here. Now Keep in mind what we saw a few weeks ago. At this point, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested, and now he's being brought before Pilate. Now, when you take a look at all of the Gospels, the four Gospels, and you put them together, what you begin to splice together is that there were actually six different trials that Jesus faced, three before the Jews, and three before the Romans. And here in Mark chapter 15, John Mark takes two of these trials of Jesus and puts them together and skips over the middle one. Jesus actually stands before Pilate twice, but in the middle of those, he stands before Herod. And here in verses 1 through 5, we see the first of the two times that Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate in trial. And in this particular trial, there's really one question that Pilate's concerned about, and only one, and that is the claim that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Notice, for example, verse 2, Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because if Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews, then that would be viewed as a threat to Caesar, a threat to the Roman government. So Pilate flat out asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 2, and Jesus answered him, It is as you say. You could literally translate Jesus' words here as, You say so. You could paraphrase it as, The decision is yours. Or perhaps, Pilate, you should consider the question. But Jesus' answer just continues to rile up the religious leaders. Notice verse 3, The chief priest began to accuse him harshly, so Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. And this time, verse 5, Jesus made no further answer. And So Pilate was amazed. Now, it's at this point, when you again, when you take a look at all four gospels, that Pilate now sends Jesus over to Herod. Jesus stands before Herod, but then Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate, and that's where we pick it up in verse six. Now, the second trial before Pilate, the third among the Romans, the sixth overall. Now, at the feast, that is the feast of Passover, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him, Pilate, to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he, notice this, he was aware that the chief priests had handed Jesus over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. There's a couple things I want you to notice here that are fascinating here in these verses. First of all, notice the bit of background information we get that it was Pilate's custom around the feast of Passover to release to the people a prisoner, someone who was in his custody. And here we're introduced to this man, verse 7, named Barabbas. Barabbas comes from Barabba, or son of the father. Barabbas was a notorious freedom fighter, robber, and murderer. So Pilate presents Barabbas or Jesus to the crowd. And notice Pilate as well, he knows something very interesting there in verse 10, he was aware that the chief priests had handed Jesus over because of envy. Isn't that fascinating? That Pontius Pilate knows the heart of the religious leaders more than they know their own heart. Pontius Pilate knows that Jesus has been handed over to them just because the religious leaders were envious of Jesus. And so, Pilate presents this scenario of, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Probably thinking that they'll choose to release Jesus. But no, verse 11, the chief priests, the religious leaders, stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. So notice Pilate's reply, verse 12, answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. What I want you to see here is that Pilate is giving these religious leaders every opportunity to do the right thing. But in their envy, they're blinded. The mob mentality, notice, is on full display as the punishment that once awaited Barabbas is now thrust upon Jesus. There's a lot that could be said here in these verses which highlight the condemnation that Jesus faced, that he experienced on that day. But what I want us to focus in on for our time this morning is the substitution that takes place here in the text. Jesus takes the place of Barabbas. Like I said earlier, Barabbas literally means son of the father, What's also very interesting is that in a few manuscripts, Greek manuscripts in the Gospel of Matthew, Barabbas is actually called Jesus Barabbas. Jesus was a common name in the first century and so there's a few Greek manuscripts in Matthew that list Barabbas' name as Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, son of the father, which is highly ironic that here the option is presented to the people do you want me to release for you the murderer the insurrectionist jesus son of the father or do you want me to release to you the king of the jews jesus of nazareth and the people choose the murderer over the son of god and because of that a substitution here takes place in the passage Jesus is condemned while Barabbas is set free. Jesus will die in Barabbas' place. Jesus was Barabbas' substitute. And for our purposes this morning, I want you to take a moment in quiet and in stillness. And I want to invite you to ponder the substitution that Jesus made for you that day. Let's take a moment of silent reflection. Jesus it is hard for us to imagine the depth of love you have when you before the very foundation of the world knew that this was the plan that you would condescend and take our place that you would be our substitute you would take not only the place of barabbas but that you would take our place as well. So we thank you. Let's take a look at number two on your outline and see the cruelty that Jesus endured as we ponder, continue to ponder the death of the suffering servant. Mark chapter 15, let's look at verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. So now, here in the text, we transition from Jesus standing before Pilate to now the Roman soldiers who will oversee Jesus' crucifixion. But before we come to the crucifixion, first we see the cruelty. As Jesus, John Mark tells us, Jesus is scourged before he's handed over to be crucified. You can see down here on the table in front of me a couple of items I'd call your attention to. And the first one is that, that whip on my right and your left. This is a cat of nine tails, a replica of the type of whip that would have been used when Jesus was scourged. Now, what's missing from this one is that often in in the first century, each of those nine strands would have on the end of it a piece of bone or glass or something fixed to it so that when a person was whipped with it, it would attach itself to the skin in their back. And when they pulled it back, it would rip the flesh from a person's back. A Roman flogging or scourging was a brutal physical beating. Imagine, if you will, prisoners were stripped, tied to a post, and beaten on the back with a whip like this. And often the beating was so brutal that it often resulted in death. We see here just a piece, a picture of the cruelty that Jesus endured on that particular day. But that's not the only cruelty that he suffered. Notice, for example, verses 16 through 19, we see a bit more. John Mark tells us in Mark 15, verses 16 through 19, the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, And they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. Again, I want to call your attention to the table. You can see the replica of a crown of thorns, like the one that would have been placed on Jesus' head. But I also want to call your attention to this item in the middle of the table. If you've been to Jerusalem, if you recall, there's a convent called the Sisters of Zion Convent in the city of Jerusalem. And down in the basement of that building on the Via Dolorosa, there is on the floor a piece of pavement stone with carvings in it. And this is a picture of that particular stone. And on that stone are these carvings that are found in many places throughout the Roman Empire of a game, a board game, that was played by Roman soldiers during the first century. A game that modern scholars call the game of the king. The game of the king. And during this particular game, we don't know all the details, but it was played with dice and a prisoner was dressed up like a king for the day, dressed in purple, given a reed, a crown of thorns. And they were mocked and paraded around and beaten and suffered, but they were the quote-unquote king for the day. And that's, that game is what's going on in these verses. As the Roman soldiers mock Jesus as the king of the Jews, crowning him with thorns, dressing him in royal purple, and taunting him, spitting on him, bowing before him. Notice after this game was played, verses 20 and 21, after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. So again, imagine this, if you will, this humiliating game that the king of kings, the true king of kings, is forced to play. He's dressed in royal robes and a crown of thorns. He's, again, scourged and beaten. He suffers unimaginable cruelty. And then in verses 20 and 21, we're told that, He's led out to be crucified, but most likely so weak, physically weak from the beating that he endured. And Jesus was unable to bear the weight of that cross beam of the cross, weighing about a hundred pounds. And so this man, Simon of Cyrene, is commissioned to bear the cross of Christ. Again, as we look at these verses, there's much more that could be said that highlight the cruelty that Jesus experienced that day. He was mocked. He was humiliated. As the true King of kings and Lord of lords is paraded around in this condescending game. So for our purposes this morning, I want to invite you to take another moment of silence, of quiet, of stillness, to ponder the shame, the shame that Jesus experienced for you. Because the truth is, sin brings shame upon us. But Jesus here left the glory of heaven, took on flesh, and experienced and suffered the shame and humiliation that you and I deserve. Let's take a moment to ponder the shame of the suffering servant on our behalf. And so, Jesus, as we reflect on these verses, we are, if we're honest, to overcome with our own shame, the shame of our own sin, and to think that you took that shame upon yourself, that you, the God of all glory, the God of majesty, suffered the shame and the humiliation being paraded around a criminal. When indeed you're the righteous sufferer. Jesus, thank you for suffering, for taking upon yourself the shame that we deserve. Let's take a look at number three on your outline as we come to the crucifixion, as we continue to ponder the death of the suffering servant. Mark chapter 15, notice verses 22 and 23. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So notice as you're following and tracing the steps of Jesus here, Jesus is now brought outside the city of Jerusalem. They bring him to the place called Golgotha, an Aramaic word meaning the place of the skull. We often call it Calvary, which comes from the Latin word meaning skull. The exact location is uncertain, but it's most likely the church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem today. But notice there at the site of the crucifixion, verse 23 tells us, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. It was common for those who were about to be crucified to be given a sedative drink of wine mixed with myrrh as a way of dulling your senses and decreasing your pain. But Jesus refused. Jesus refused. The drink. Instead, he chose to suffer and to die in full control of his faculties, fully aware of what he was enduring. And then in just a few simple words, we read in verse 24, and they crucified him. And they crucified him. There on the table in front of me, you can see a replica of a nail similar to the one, perhaps, that was nailed in each of Jesus' arms and in his feet. But death by crucifixion was one of the cruelest forms of capital punishment ever devised. Normally during a crucifixion, the person was stripped, laid on the ground, and both of his forearms were nailed to that crossbeam. That crossbeam was then hoisted up and raised and fixed to an upright post as the victim's feet were nailed to it. And death was slow and painful. Crucifixion caused extreme exhaustion and thirst and suffocation. Sometimes the death of the person on the cross was sped up by breaking their legs so they could no longer lift themselves up in order to take a breath. Again in very simple words John Mark tells us a very pregnant statement here and they crucified him. And to add insult to injury, let's keep reading in verse 24, they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide which each what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him, among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Notice the mockery and the humiliation, again, adding insult to injury as Jesus was on the cross suffering physically. You see three groups of people here mocking Jesus. Those passing by, the chief priests, and also those who are being crucified with him. Once again, there's more that could be said in these verses that highlight the crucifixion. But I want us to reflect on the suffering, the physical suffering that Jesus endured. Like I said, crucifixion was an unspeakably painful and degrading experience. The body sometimes went into convulsions and shaking due to the pain. The person there on the cross had to painfully lift up their own weight. Again, remembering their feet and their hands are nailed to the cross. They had to lift up their own weight in order just to take a breath. If they didn't, they'd suffocate. When you take a look at all the physical suffering of Jesus, the scourging, the loss of blood, the shock from the pain, this all produced an agony, an agony that's unimaginable. So once again, let's take just a few moments this morning to reflect on these verses and to ponder the suffering that Jesus endured for you. Jesus, we are overcome when we consider, when we ponder the physical suffering you endured. The suffering that no movie can even replicate, the pain, the agony, the anguish. And we're overcome by the fact that you did it for us. physically suffered what we deserve, and you did it for us. Let's take a look at number four on your outline as we come now to the confession. At the very end of Jesus' life, John Mark here in the Gospel of Mark highlights a few things that accompany the death of Jesus. Darkness that comes over the land, a few of Jesus' final words, and something very strange that takes place in the temple. Let's take a look first at the darkness. Notice verse 33. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Notice, for three hours, a darkness falls over the land. And This darkness, I believe, was a, a cosmic sign of God's judgment on human sin which is placed on Jesus. That in these moments, the weight of the world's evil really did converge on Jesus, blotting out the Son as surely as God's love should have been blotted out from us. As Jesus took the weight of our sin on himself. The second thing that John Mark highlights here are some of Jesus' final words. Verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. What I want you to see here are some of Jesus' final words that express the unfathomable horror of his separation from God the Father, who cannot look on sin. Jesus here experienced a separation from God the Father, a break in the fellowship that he had enjoyed from eternity past. Jesus died, separated from the Father, so that you and I might be made right and reconciled. Here in this moment, I want you to remember that This moment is the climactic moment towards which the entire Gospel of Mark has been moving all along. All along in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen this phrase, on the way, on the way, on the way. And Jesus has been moving on His way to the cross this entire time. And here we finally come to the moment where He takes with Him the sin of the world, my sin and your sin. And that weight is placed upon him on the cross. Because of that he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The third thing that John Mark records here in the final moments of Jesus' life verse thirty eight, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, notice from top to bottom. The veil there in the temple separating the holy place from the most holy place. Keeping people a safe distance from the very holy presence of God. This curtain temple, John Mark tells us, is torn in two from top to bottom. Notice the passive voice. It's torn in two from top to bottom. Meaning it's God himself that tears this curtain. The tearing of the temple was a sign that Jesus' death not only ended the need for repeated sacrifices, but it also opens up a new and living way of free and direct access to God. As we reflect on these verses, again, there's much more that could be said, but what I want you to take a moment to reflect on is the separation from the Father that Jesus suffers for you and for me. Jesus was separated from the Father, something that you and I deserve because of our sin, but Jesus took it upon himself. Let's take just a moment to ponder the separation that Jesus experienced for you and for me. Jesus, of all the things you endured, the condemnation, the cruelty, the crucifixion, certainly it's this, the separation you experienced from the Father. It's certainly this that's the worst of all. As we think about the fact that you did this, you came on the way this entire time from Before the foundation of the world, you knew that this was the plan and you endured the cross, despised the shame for us. What else can we do but say thank you? Thank you. There's one more thing I want you to notice that is, verse 39. Jesus dies and. As all of this takes place, notice what happens in, there, in verse 39. Mark 15, verse 39 says, When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Take note of this climactic confession here in verse 39, that a Gentile centurion of all people, A Gentile centurion is the one who sees these events and confesses that indeed Jesus is the Son of God. Final thing I have for you this morning is to ask the question, what about you? As you ponder all that Jesus endured on this day, what do you believe about him? The good news I have for you this morning is that, as we see here in this passage, Jesus is our substitute. He took our place. Jesus experienced the shame of our sin. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. He was separated from the Father for us. So my question to you this morning as you look at the confession here is, is, is this your confession? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died in your place, who took upon himself your shame, who took upon himself your punishment, who was separated from the Father so that you might be reconciled? And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you right here in this moment, whether here in this room or watching online, to put your faith, your trust in him. There on the backside of your outline I've given you some application questions to consider, but your one thing for this week is this. I would encourage you, I know we did some time here, but I would encourage you to spend some more time this week pondering the death of the suffering servant and to ask yourself, what difference has Jesus' death on the cross made in your life? And to spend some time thanking God for what Jesus did on the cross for you. Again, I know these are heavy verses. And it's so tempting for us to, to rush to the end, to the empty tomb. But I want to encourage you to not rush past these final events, but to reflect on them meaningfully. Because here in it, we see the very heart of Jesus. And a pondering of the suffering And the death of our suffering servant should cause us to ask the question, why? Why would Jesus do this for me? It should then lead us to a place of love. Would you pray with me? Father, we do confess this desire to rush past the death and the suffering of Jesus and so, help us, Father, this week as we reflect on these verses to truly ponder and consider the meaning, the significance of Jesus' death for us. Give us time this week in the, the busyness of our life to ponder the condemnation that Jesus endured, the cruelty, the humiliation, the pain in his crucifixion. And, Father, lead us to a similar, similar place of confession. That as we reflect on these events, we, like the centurion, confess Jesus is the Son of God who stood condemned in our place, who suffered in our place, who was separated from the Father for us. Father, thank you for sending your Son to do what we could not do so that we could be made right with you. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.